Welcome to Podcast to the Church. Today I am joined by Spencer Stewart on my left and Pastor Frank Ramsor and Dr. Jesse Pollum. Uh, and we have some interesting things to talk about today. First, we're going to jump into uh, the Super Bowl. Did you guys watch the Super Bowl? No, no. No, not at all. Nobody. You didn't either? No. I, I did. I did, okay. yeah. I did. See, our pastor watched the Super Bowl. He knows I what's did. up. I was oh. roped into it, but I did. <laughs> <laughs> Everybody else is trying to pretend that they were too super spiritual to watch. They were praying or something. Uh, well, there were some interesting things that happened at the Super Bowl. And no, Jesse, I'm not talking about Taylor Swift shots. I'm talking about... I'm talking about the he gets us at at the Super Bowl, which caused no small amount of controversy online simply because it showed a bunch of different woke scenarios with people getting their feet washed, climate activists, and uh, all sorts of other things. And so... It caused no amount, small amount of controversy online, in my opinion, for two reasons. First of all, it preaches an errant kind of understanding of faith. Um, it teaches that if you just love people enough, they'll become believers, you know. Uh, if you just wash their feet, they're automatically going to believe that Jesus is real. But the truth is that the Bible shows that the great physician, Jesus, comes to cure sin. And when you realize that he's the only one that can cure you of that, that's when you'll truly become a believer. So it preaches this kind of flawed understanding of faith. But secondly, and probably most importantly for this conversation and what we'll be talking about the rest of the podcast, is it kind of subtly makes this um, illustration that ultimately the only reason hate really exists on this earth is because Christians really aren't obeying the Bible. They're not going around washing people's feet. And if Christians would love people more, then we would actually see hate totally erased. Now, there's one big glaring problem with that. I don't know if the people who believe that have actually read the Bible and come across this Jesus guy, you know, the one that actually washed feet, but he was crucified because of the people that he came to love here on this earth. So apparently loving people perfectly isn't enough to get them to necessarily totally stop hating people. In fact, they might actually have to believe in Jesus. I know radical, crazy idea. But underneath that is this critique that Christians are the problem, and especially Christian evangelicals are the problem. And they're the reason really hate exists in this world. And Christian evangelicals are a bunch of racist, homophobic, intolerant people, and they're the real problem with America today. And we need to do something about that. And I am just frankly so sick and tired of that lying message. If you subtract Christian American evangelicals from America, and not to mention the world, the world becomes a much darker place immediately because there is no other demographic in the world that is more giving and more charitable with their time and their resources than Christian American evangelicals. It's just a flat out lie to suggest anything other than that Christians are one of the best thing to happen to our world. So, Suffice to say, I, I think that we're seeing this a lot in a peculiar way, especially as it oddly comes up to a 2024 election. We're hearing about especially how white Christian evangelicals and Christian nationalists are the problem. And you'll hear this on a clip that I'm about to show you guys and then we'll interact with it. I would love to leave behind right-wing fundamentalists and Christian nationalists who use Jesus, whose birth we celebrate, as a prop while legislating and fighting against his actual teachings. There's a lot of right-wing brothers and sisters in this country who identify as Christian, and they care about the manger and the crucifix, and they ignore the 30 years of teaching. 33. Well, actually, three years of teaching he did okay. in between. Uh, Jesus is um, not 
an ally of the Republican Party. There is no overlap between Jesus and the policies of Donald Trump. In South Carolina, they tried to have a bill this year calling for the death penalty for abortion. We're so pro-life, we'll kill you. That's where we're at right now. That's Stephen Wright. I would kill for a Nobel Peace Prize. Seeing the Pope this week enrage these right-wing Christians so much because he acted like Jesus in blessing gay unions. Jesus is not anti-immigrant. He commands people to welcome the stranger. He never mentions abortion. The Bible never condemns abortion. We've had two generations of Christians in this country who have been groomed to believe criminalizing abortion is something to do with what Jesus talked about. Christ was a peaceful, radical, nonviolent revolutionary, never mentioned gay people. He commanded you to pay your taxes, to welcome the stranger. Individuals and nations must care for the poor and sick in Matthew 25. He who lives by the sword must die by the sword, Luke 22. There's a reason why these right-wingers never try to put the Sermon on the Mount on walls and classrooms. With that being said, I don't think I've ever heard the Bible talked about on MSNBC before, but uh, there we go. I don't know if we heard it there either. But what do you guys think? Sermon on the Mount, should we put it in schools? I think Frank needs to take this one. <laughs> My goodness, that was a, that was a deluge of, uh, yeah, I guess with small victories, it, he did quote some scripture. Um, wow, you didn't know to begin with that. That, that was just absolutely all, all yeah. over the place. And um, Yeah, well, first of all, I would just say this. I am sick and tired of this narrative that we are hearing all over the mainstream media, all over things like the He Gets Us ad, uh, the idea that um, Christian evangelicals are part of the problem with America and they just, they just need to get right with God, that they're part of, like, here's the, here's the deal. Subtract Christian evangelicals from the world tomorrow and this world becomes a dark, dark place. Oh, Christian evangelicals are the most giving people of their time uh, per capita, more so than any other demographic in the world, and Christian American evangelicals, and Christian American evangelicals give more of their money than any other demographic in the world. So I'm talking about America being a much darker place and this nation being a much darker place if Christian evangelicals were not here. This is just simply Marxist. Uh, if I didn't, if I didn't know less, I guess I should say, I would say it's not Marxist, but, um, but I know that it is. But even for the useful idiots out there, this is just secular re-education is all it is. It's propaganda. It's fake news. It's not true. Christian evangelicals are the most giving and kind and tolerant people on the planet. And all other evidence to the contrary is total nonsense. It's a total fabricated lie. I agree. Um, I did look this gentleman up and had no clue who he was. Um, in defense of all comics, they can speak truth. Um, this is not a gentleman that I believe is speaking truth. Um, or he, he's taking so this guy's a, a comedian? Yes, he's a comedian. Oh, very funny. Um, he, he supposedly tells jokes um, <laughs> uh, other than what he, he just did. But um, So in defense of all comics, you can speak truth. And there's many comics out there that are, are speaking the truth, so we appreciate that. Yeah. But uh, he, he's just out of hand in the aspect of – I'm not offended by what he has to say, but when he says brothers and sisters, um, and you can hear his lingo, you can hear his um, – his, his word patterns and his, his phrases are straight leftists. Yep. And he's condemning people for having a conservative um, ideologies. And he's trying to lump people in one big group, um, like most of the things I think we're going to talk about tonight yep. are. Um, but it's about attacking and labeling people so that 
hey, I don't like what you're saying. In other words, so go ahead and shut up. Yeah. And that's what we're looking at. And I think that's what this whole clip was. And uh, I'm, the, the saddest part, I think, about this is that people, when I read the comments on this clip, that so many people agreed with him. What did you just agree on? You have no clue what he just said. He just yeah. went on a tirade about a something. That, yeah, he just doesn't even know what he's, he's talking about. If he yeah. really knew what he's talking about, he would have slowed down and had some actual meaningful <clears throat> conversation. We all we all know this, that you can quote the Bible any day of the week, but it doesn't mean that you actually know what you're talking about, that you're actually quoting it in context. So he said a couple things there, and I really do want to interact with his ideas, not because we deserve to take them seriously, or, or they deserve to be taken seriously, but simply because... Um, I think people will listen to his rhetoric, hear him quoting scripture, and actually fall for this nonsense. Um, so the first thing that I think we could interact with is that there is no overlap between the policies of Donald Trump and Jesus. Really? Like none at all? Maybe like that whole human trafficking thing that Trump did, or maybe like the whole uh, installing Supreme Court justices that overturned Roe v. Wade. But of course, this guy denies the fact that uh, the, Bible, the Bible has nothing to say about abortion at all. Even that thou shalt not murder thing. Yeah, I mean, it's just... <laughs> you you <laughs> literally have to unpack that. I mean, it was yeah. a deluge of, of, uh, of, uh, of error that you, you, you would have to stop, pause, and go, okay, well, let's unpack that, and let's unpack that, and let's unpack that. It just came like a, a tidal wave out of his um, <laughs> twisted mouth. So I, Yeah, in 30 seconds, like without going down a crazy rabbit hole, because he did touch on 10 different things... Um, it's just like the he gets of stuff, which we'll get into. It looks really sweet to say Jesus welcomes the foreigner to take, like, you know, theologically Jew and Gentile relations against the backdrop of Romans and really, by extension, the whole New Testament. This idea that's where the diversity guys kind of extrapolate that, right? God loves diversity. He's neither not Jew nor Greek nor slave nor male nor female nor slave nor free. And the point there is that God welcomes all people, not just genealogic or ethnic Israel, as was the case for thousands of years. And so the beauty of the Gospels is predicated upon faith, not upon genealogy. And they take that and extrapolate it to a lot of things. So to say Jesus welcomes the one far from God, to mean that he welcomes the one geographically far, like he pulls in a foreigner, as if there weren't borders in Israel. Yeah. There were even, uh, even within Israel, in the 12 tribes that were bordered, there were, there were rules for a foreigner traveling through your land. Like, Borders are so clearly and obviously biblical, it's just, it doesn't even, I don't think, deserves much more to be said than that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, here's, the, I, here's why I think this is important, because essentially what that guy just did was straw man. There is not a single Christian on the planet, and there are so few, if, they're, if I'm wrong about that, there are so few. After 24 years of ministry, I can tell you, it's so few of them that they're not even worth talking about that actually believe that we should have a closed border and that there should be zero immigration whatsoever. That we should never allow any person into this country, especially unless they're white and a Christian. Like, there's no Christian that actually believes that. So he's strawmanning an argument. Uh, if he actually believed the Bible, he would believe what the vast majority of Christians actually believe, which is in legal immigration. Whereas what we protest, Christians should protest, especially if they're Bible-believing Christians, is illegal immigration, where you're actually uh, subverting the laws of a nation in order to come to this country and doing God knows what in order to get here and God knows what to people in order to get them here. So if you're really a Christian, you actually care about legal borders because they protect people. Yep. They keep people from being human trafficked, from sex traffic, yep. little children from being abducted <laughs> from their parents and brought here. So if you really care about people, then you actually care about legal immigration, which is what the Bible actually preaches. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. There's a lady at my office whose husband um, just got his, he was on his green card for or like his, I guess his visa, however that works 
from, I believe, Spain. And just, I don't remember how long it was, but it was over five years. And just like two or three months ago, I finally got a citizenship. So I've heard Charlie Kirk say, I don't remember the number, but over a year, maybe something like 18 months is the average wait list. It might be longer than that. Don't, don't mm-hmm. quote me on that. For, for legal immigration to America. So if we're being yeah. kind and nice to people wanting to come here, isn't it unkind and unnice to let people come here legally in front of people that are yeah. trying to come here legally? Yeah. That's I mean, the, it's just so basic. the epitome of an injustice, right? Mm-hmm. Look, yeah. you, guys are the, you guys are the fairness doctrine lovers. You want to make sure that everything is fair. And yet... This is profoundly, you know, unfair, um, unjust. But it, you know, the the um, the idea here again is this this presentation of Christ and His people, like the He gets us scenario. That just it falls short. It has a certain, you know, you you watch the 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 uh, He gets us, you know, spot, and you. you one sad thing about it all is, you, you know, to, to have, to take issue with it, on the one hand, you go, who, who doesn't tear up to see the representation of Christ meeting a mother on the floor with alcohol bottles all around? Because a lot of us remember where Christ found us, right? Yeah. Then who doesn't, it, 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 to, to, but, <laughs> so he, Christ came to preach love and not hate. And yet, like you said earlier, the very people that he loved were the ones that crucified him. Mm-hmm. And to, to me, it's interesting, what, what, you know, you got half the gospel, you got half the truth. Yeah, of course, Christ came from the uttermost to the guttermost, right? For those that are just as broken as all yeah. get out, came for us. And yet, he loved us so much that he wouldn't leave us where he found us, thank God. Well, that, that whole idea was presented to 123 million people that he will take you with any of your, all of your brokenness, and I, I got to thinking more about this, you know, after the fact, because I had texted a friend of mine that I, I love, and I know he tends toward the love, love, love scenario, and he loved it. And I said, you know, that's pretty cool. Then you got to, you, you think through it a little bit longer, and you go, yeah. to me, it's interesting. The only people, scripturally, while Christ was on earth, the, the only people that Jesus was quite harsh with are those that felt like they were just okay. Mm-hmm. Well, Okay, so then we all know classically with the Pharisees, we're, we're fine, we don't yeah. need you, we're good just the way we are with all of our, you know, whitewashed tombs. And yet, isn't that exactly what he gets us just portrayed? Yeah. I, he, you, you're fine as a trans person, you're fine as an alcoholic, you're fine as a misguided climate activist, you know. The, these are all scenarios, Rico. These are all lies. And if you want to hold on to your lie, you'll be the one in the end that has a real problem with Jesus. Yeah. So if... Hatred is equivalent to having a standard. Well, then maybe Jesus did come and preach hate yeah. that from that standpoint. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, I, yeah. you look on and you go, no evangelicals out there, you know, shake it, wagging their fists to trans people or homosexuals or whatever. We, we love people, all people. We, we know where we came from. Sinners are sinners. Yeah. But to not then have a standard and it's not ours, it's his, and not to uphold it, well, is the epitome of hatred, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, Christ came and found men wherever. Yeah. But it would be hatred to leave them in the wherever that he found them, right? Mm-hmm. And so th- that was the sad bit to me was, it, it's, it's half the truth. Christ does love sinners. Yeah. All yeah. of them, anywhere, everywhere. And he came for them. Yeah. This is, this is what Thomas Aquinas said. He said, love is willing the good of the other, which I really love that because what that means is that love 
is one of the most misused and abused words in our culture, perhaps, that we don't even actually know what it means, but we use it a lot. Um, and that if, if love is willing the good of the other, then that means that love takes on a bunch of different forms. It takes on the form of punishment for your children, takes on the form of correction for your spouse. I know I've had a couple uh, in my time. Uh, it, it takes on the form of tenderness and compassion and all these things. But, but, but obviously, if you will the good of the trans person, you say, no, dear brother, you're not a girl. You're, no. you're not a woman. Don't do that to your body. Don't let these people deceive you. This is not going to take away that soul's ache that's deep down inside of your heart. Only mm -hmm. Jesus can do that. Surgeries and, and big pharma and the experts are not going to do that. Only Jesus can. What you're searching for in trans surgery is, is, is never going to satisfy you and it will be too late if you go through with it. Now, it's not too late for your soul, but it's too late for your body because you've permanently scarred it for the rest of your life. So the only response to loving and willing the good of the other is to tell them the truth. And in our society, I, I've said this so many times on my show, that perhaps one of the most unparalleled acts of compassion in our society is telling people the truth because they are lied to so often on a regular basis. I get heated about this stuff, but also one of the reasons I get heated about it is because especially that he gets us out and especially with what we just heard from this guy on MSNBC is that the devil, we, we like to think about the devil playing in the dark. We, we love the idea of like a single match in the darkness, you know, it can light up a room and all that kind of stuff. But really from the garden on, the devil loves to play in the shadows. He loves to play in the gray. He loves half-truths. He is an expert at half-truths. That's why progressive Christianity is so, is so powerful to some people, so deceptive to people, because you actually have to be a little sophisticated as a Christian to see through the veneer of these lies that sound good, Absolutely. but are desperately deadly inside. Yeah. There's poison waiting in there. Um, which is what I hope we can kind of accomplish with this show is just to say, hey, it is okay to push against these narratives, even if people shame you for doing so and tell you you're not allowed to ask these questions. And doesn't it mean that you don't love people and that you don't want to wash people's feet if you don't like that he gets us out of Like, stop it. That is the most uninteresting and unthoughtful line of questioning. And it is what has kept the church, if anything, um, suffering. Not Christian nationalism, but the fact that we won't critically think about these issues in a real way. So I hope that we can kind of solve that today. You can, again, we should be able to appreciate if, if what was presented there was half true. Well, then we can appreciate the half truth that was presented. It was sweet to consider that kind of love and on display. Yeah. On the other hand, it, I mean, it is painful to think about what was left unsaid. Mm -hmm. And that's always, yeah. right, sort of the scenario. It's like, wait, what, you know, think about who wasn't in, in a, I guess if the idea was in the middle of a divided culture to try to bridge the gap and heal the wound, well then, I don't know if you paid attention, but there were a certain group of people that were not worthy of having their feet washed. <laughs> exactly. I mean, there was clearly a group of people that uh, were, were not worthy. They were the ones that are the haters yeah. that are not worthy to have uh, Christ descend into their misguided I think hatred. That's well put, yeah. You're like, well, it's in, whoa, whoa, wait, wait, wait. So there was, there was a lot that was left, and I and I think it's fair to to say, hey, I, there's there's a certain there's something about that I can appreciate, and then there's something about that that I should be concerned about, and the, and the fact that we're we live in a day and age where we are literally, um, we self censor, we're afraid. Oh gosh, well, 
you know, I'm, I'm going to, they're going to think I'm just a stick in the mud. I can't appreciate anything. Yeah. You know, just, I'm against everything. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of the narrative that, that you want, that, they, that they'd like to leave us with. But again, if, um, if, if holding to a standard that isn't ours is synonymous <clears throat> with hatred, then we're in trouble mm-hmm. because, uh, and again, we, what did Jesus say? My friends, my brothers, my sisters, if they hated you, hated me, yeah. they're going to hate you. Why did they hate him? Because at the end, there was a standard. <laughs> Speaking of the Sermon on the Mount, <laughs> which is what Jesus says on the Sermon on the Mount. Yeah, there, there, you're right. Blessed are you when they persecute you and say all kinds of false things about you, uh, wherever they say it, um, because then you're blessed. The, 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 the Spirit and the glory of God rests upon you when, you're, when, when you literally just stand there and you go, I think these things are untrue. Mm-hmm. Which is so ironic that this guy is quoting that while also slandering Christians for uh, believing very biblical things. Um, so, for instance, uh, one of the most unbiblical things that this guy said was that Jesus was a peaceful, nonviolent, radical revolutionary that never mentioned gay marriage or abortion. <laughs> I think he's talking about Gandhi, by the way. I don't know if that's Jesus. It's Gandhi. It's Gandhi, it's Gandhi right? I think it was Gandhi. Yeah. Yeah, he got his books crossed. <laughs> <laughs> which brings it, which reminds me of that really silly quote. Um, and Christians quote this too. They probably don't even know it's Gandhi most of the time. The whole uh, "I love I love your Jesus, but I hate your Christians," um, or "I don't like your I love your Jesus, but I don't like your Christians," which some Gandhi said. Yeah. Um, which is like, okay, well, repent, and maybe you could get healed of that because you're actually supposed to love um, uh, Christians. Um, but but I do want to I do want to interact at least so maybe with the, um, the abortion thing that he said, because he made a uh, pretty wild-eyed claim about the fact that there are Republicans out there and ostensibly Christians, uh, which, by the way, I don't want to forget to say this. He, he goes as far as to say right-wing radicals, Christians, and Christian nationalists. So even if we make the argument, um, okay, well, Christians are different than Christian nationalists, um, well, this guy is including all of them together, which we all know is really what they're after at the end of the day. This is the problem that we have. When we hear Christian nationalists, we don't hear you defining your term. We don't hear you really clearly expressing what that actually means. And we hear you talking about us when you start talking about gay marriage and abortion, stuff that we actually care about and that Jesus actually cared about. So, um, so what we think you mean is just Christians. Um, anyway, so his whole idea that there are Christians out there that want to penalize abortion <laughs> to the point of making uh, women face the death penalty for killing their babies. Um, I've got a diatribe here, so forgive me. Interrupt me anytime you want, but I do want to say a couple things about that. Um, what his conversation is missing is, first of all, that not a single one of those bills passed. It's also missing the fact that it's just a couple of individuals, maybe two or three people, uh, one in South Carolina um, and then a couple in Texas who proposed these kind of ideas. He's also um, missing the fact that um, there is a difference between um, killing and murdering, right, in the Bible. Um, So when we talk about uh, actually murdering an innocent baby, uh, it's different than a death penalty for somebody who is a criminal. But, um, but, but what we have here, I think, is just performative outrage pretending to be upset about something that isn't actually even taking place of course. Um, in a large fashion anyway. 
But I would just say this, the reason I, uh, as a Christian, the way I think about this is that I do believe abortion is murder, but I think that our culture has done such a great job, and this underscores the, uh, the reality of how powerful culture is. The culture has done a great job of convincing women that that baby in your belly is not a baby. It's a fetus, or it doesn't have personhood. Uh, it's not really human. Uh, you have to exit the magical birth canal to finally be bequothed, uh, bequeathed with uh, personhood. So there is not appropriate mens rea, according to law, even to accuse these women of murder when they've been convinced their whole life that this is just a choice rather than a baby uh, in, in their belly. But, but by and large, it doesn't even matter. Again, it's a moot point because at, there are no Christians actively pursuing Congress to try to get women uh, thrown in jail because they pursue abortions. We just think people are horribly deceived and it should be outlawed because it's evil. I could respond, and again, so much of it's, uh, on one hand, doesn't really deserve much response, but, but if we're responding to it, I'm gonna respond. I'll, I'll get th 30 seconds on the last point you had said that Jesus didn't mention you know, certain things explicitly. For one, that it makes the assumption that we're red letter Christians, and we're not, we're, we're all Bible Christians, right? Um, the whole Bible is God-breathed, God-inspired via the Holy Spirit, verbal plenary inspiration, right? So just because Jesus doesn't explicitly mention something um, doesn't mean it's not true or biblical. Yeah. No laws against pedophilia because Jesus didn't mention it. I mean, come well, on, let, me, let me intersect, too, and say as far as the gay marriage and the abortion thing, I think those things are mentioned. Um, if not explicitly, implicitly, Jesus says things like, hey, don't injure a child or else you better have a millstone tied around your neck and throw yourself in the sea. It'd be better for you that way. So he's clearly talking about children there. Now, you only think that that's not talking about abortion if you don't think a baby is a child, which you would if you're a Christian. Um, and then the whole, uh, the whole idea of like gay marriage. So Jesus, does he specifically address gay marriage? Um, I, it, yeah, he does. When he says that, um, let no man put asunder what God has put together, which is the union of a man and a woman. So if gay marriage is essentially putting asunder what God has ordained in biblical marriage, which is a man and a woman coming together. So gay marriage absolutely does that. And so Jesus does explicitly talk about it. Yeah, but even if he didn't pick some other thing, like what if they were, they were talking about pedophilia or bestiality? You could say, where's the, where's the Jesus verse yeah, about yeah, bestiality? Yeah. But uh, Modi Balkan makes this point, so yeah. I don't remember where, a couple times in the New Testament. I know Matthew somewhere, Jesus quotes particularly the Pornea Code of Leviticus, like 18 or 19 or somewhere, which mentions all those other sins, including homosexuality explicitly. I mean, Jesus doesn't mention pride, but Paul talks about pride more than any New Testament sin. He wrote 13 and 24 New Testament books. I mean, this just really quickly yeah. breaks down. Yeah. yeah. Jesus also didn't talk about smoking crack, but I'm assuming, right, probably yeah. not good? I, that's... Mm. Can, general, <laughs> general consensus? I point at you, big boy. It depends. It's a wild know, man uh, Looking at you, Hunter. Anyway. <laughs> one of the, <laughs> one of the uh, spiritual gifts is self-control. Um, and I think there's a whole lot in the Bible that if you read the Bible other than just picking what feels good to you out of context, doing a Bible search and go, hey, there's three verses that support what I want. Um, the Bible is pretty conclusive in what it's trying to teach you. Um, and self-control is a big part of that. Like, hey, why don't I go out and get sloshed drunk every night? Well, self-control. <clears throat> why don't I just go get high every single day to deal with whatever I'm dealing with? Self-control. Why don't I kill people? Self-control. Um, when you're sitting in traffic, I need some self-control. Um, why don't I go 100 mile an hour everywhere I go? Self-control. Um, there's a lot of things that can be grouped, um, but I, I think the, to shorten it instead of rambling on, um, 
everything he said was a lie. <laughs> <Okay>? <laughs> Every single thing. He, he had maybe a sentence of truth, but the rest of it was just a lie. I'm, I'm, I'm tempted to segue into that, to the kind of the next thing we want to talk about, because I, I believe that Christian nationalism is ultimately a lie. Uh, that it is a fabricated extortion tactic to try to shut the church up. But I also want to be careful because I think that there may be some merit in doing this. So just really briefly, um, just want to kind of share this with you guys, see if you want to interact with it at all. But at least we'll, I'll just state it out there um, because I think it's important to define our terms. I think it's important for us to talk what we're talking about. Obviously, this guy's a nut. He has no idea what he's talking about. He's misusing and abusing scripture left and right. Um, but, uh, but there is this kind of consistent narrative about Christian nationalism. Um, and there is even an online debate as to whether or not, even if you disagree with the way it's being used, should you label yourself a Christian nationalist? Because then this puts you in the category of these people that they're trying to, uh, to castigate and um, attack. But um, at least I would just say this. As far as I can tell, when you look at the technical definition of what it means to be a nationalist and then a Christian, um, is it means to believe that as a nationalist, that your society is held together by a national identity. And if you're a Christian nationalist, then you believe that part of that identity that holds this nation together is Christianity. Now, um, I still think that is true as much as secular progressives have tried to push us away from that. It is undeniable that Christianity is woven into the fabric of our nation in such a way that most people, even if they're not Christians, don't realize how Christian they actually are. Um, they don't realize that when they don't cut in line at the grocery store, they're being Christians, whether they like it or not. Um, but, uh, uh, but, but this, it's just a simple historical idea at the end of the day too, um, that, that this nation was founded upon Christian ideas and Christian principles. Obviously, the Bible is quoted more than any other book in any of our founding documents. Um, uh, but, but I also thought it would be interesting to mention this poll real quick because let's put some statistics and facts uh, to this just beyond what we think about the, the whole ordeal. So Pew Research did a poll and they asked this question. Um, it, they asked, well, a couple of questions, but essentially around the idea of Christian nationalism. So first of all, they asked, do you think the founders of America originally intended the U.S. to be a Christian nation? Now, this is fascinating to me. 60% of the people who were polled said yes. Okay, so that's super important. The vast majority of the people said yes. Our founders wanted this to be a Christian nation. All right. Now, do you think the U.S. should be a Christian nation? So the founders was the first question. Do you think it should be a Christian nation? 45% said yes and 51% said no. Um, all right, and then they asked this next question. Do you think the U.S. is now a Christian nation? 64% said no, 33% said yes. Now, again, this is still the same people who said 60% originally this is a Christian nation. All right, and then they go even further to ask these questions. Should the Supreme Court justices bring their own religious views into how they decide major cases, all right? So if Christian nationalism actually exists, let's look at the, the numbers here. 83% people of people said no. Now this is 60% of the people who said this is originally a Christian nation, right? And then uh, a good uh, bulk of them saying that it should still be a Christian nation. But the vast majority, the vast, vast, vast majority of them saying that the Supreme Court should not be ruling based upon Christianity, uh, which by the way, I disagree with, um, but, uh, but that's neither here nor there. We're talking about whether Christian nationalism is even a real thing. Should churches or other houses of worship keep out of political matters altogether? Should they even talk about politics in church? 
67% said no, 31% said they should talk about it. So as far as I can tell, I know that's just one poll, as far as I can tell, the vast majority of people who even believe that this was a Christian nation to begin with, at least in this way, don't believe that it should really play a part in who we are as a people today. Now, I fundamentally disagree with that, and I still don't think it makes me necessarily a Christian nationalist. Um, uh, but, but the reality is, is I think that it's fair to say that Christian nationalism is an overbloated term meant to libel Christians, uh, meant to emotionally blackmail and shame Christians into voting a particular way, which will bring us to the next thing that we want to talk about. Um, because I don't believe Christian nationalism is a threat to the church, and I don't believe it's a threat to America. But if there is something that I believe is a religious threat um, uh, to the Christian church, I would say it is um, it's, it's a progressivism that's flooding the church and influencing the way people view scripture. So I want to talk with you guys about the after party. I did a show on it this past week. Um, and there's some interesting things that I've been thinking about in relation to it. So I know you guys have seen it as well, but let me learn at least for those who don't know what it is out there, explain what the after party is. Um, so the after party is a small group curriculum designed to counter the quote, dangerous trend end quote of evangelicals for framing, uh, sorry, forming their worldview based upon quote, partisan forces rather than biblical faith end quote. David French, one of its founders, um, explained that the study was not engineered to make people less political or less engaged or to teach people how to think on issues or what to believe, but rather how to behave with a, within a Christian framework. So that's the contention of David French. But let's hear also another one of its founders uh, speak to us about <laughs> practically speaking what the after party is meant to do in churches. So here's a clip. And, and that's honestly why most pastors, or many pastors, don't preach on politics on Sunday morning, because they instinctively know my Monday morning inbox is going to look awful if I do that. So the, the challenge we need is to give churches and pastors a way to head in towards healthy Christian politics that doesn't force them to preach this magical Sunday morning sermon that will solve everything. And the after party is our attempt to do that so that you don't have to do all the heavy lifting and also, frankly, you don't have to take the bullseye, right? Because this way, if you run the after party in your small group community, uh, in your Bible studies and so forth like that, then if people get mad, they get mad at Curtis, Russell, and David, they get less mad at you. You can have plausible deniability, right? You can just say, hey, you know, I don't agree with everything these guys say, but I think they're worth listening. That's the classic move you, know, you do make as a pastor, right? Well, the classic plausible move. deniability. Yeah, the classic pastor move, wow. <laughs> that, was, that was very uplifting, encouraging to all pastors. Just throw it out there. Uh, so what do you think about uh, your newfound tactic of plausible deniability? Yeah, you should pastor. try that plastic. I love that. That was... Um, Never thought of that? That's quite slimy. You know, and you, you look on and you go, this is great. So he's going to dress large groups of people, uh, no doubt a number of leading people in congregations all over the country. And the whole idea is, number one, I'm going to discredit, I'm going to discourage you from addressing these things yeah. from the pulpit because you're just not going to be able to do it well. And you're going to you're going to face some pushback. So it, it's, a, and he gives you all the reasons why that would be a dangerous uh, place to go. And of course he's like, preach the one political sermon, just the one, the one magical one that's going to sway everything as opposed to 
allowing the truth of God's word to address every error wherever it wherever it appears, which happens in this particular day and age quite frequently. Um, so, so discourage the pastor from leading, from uh, from taking any sort of responsibilities. Push it off on us. We'll be the bad guys. And, uh, and then to act as if, based upon what David French says in his sort of introductory idea, here, here's what we'd like to see happen here. T- to think that these men have no political agenda here mm-hmm. is just like, <clears throat> you'd have to be a fool. Yeah. Um, I mean, haven't we already kind of seen an agenda crop up, right? Because they're saying, we're just going to try to help you interact with political ideas. But actually, what we want you to do, pastor, is shut up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Easy. Um, we think you're part of the problem. There's a, there's a, there's a growing number of people within the evangelicalism that are looking on and going, you know what? This isn't just right or left. This is darkness and light. Yeah. And, uh, I was actually commanded by the King to talk about darkness and light. Doesn't, doesn't matter where I find it. We can find it on the red side. We can find it on the blue side. We can find it on the right and we can find it on the left. Yeah. We should call it out wherever, wherever we yeah. see it. Yeah, that's right. So to shut up. You know, the men that God has ordained to lead the church, feed the church, guide the church, shepherd the church, and, and then, you know, step in as if they were going to be, they'll, they'll be the big boys and uh, handle the heavyweight when uh, yeah. the, the, we'll take your inbox. Um, is, 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 a, is uh, you know, again, that, that's, a, that's a slimy little bit right there uh, from that particular fella, uh, Chang, who, mm-hmm. who, you know, really looks on and says, hmm, we've got to find a um, slick, um, winsome, s- seductive way to get this material into the church. We got to silence the pulpit, and we've got to Im- impact the pew. And what we've got to impact the pew with is something akin to the after party. Yeah. I, I mean, I mean uh, something akin to you know he gets us. We, we've got to water people down from. We got to. Sl- mm. That's why I agree. we want them to disengage. We're yeah. not going <clears> to <throat> teach you how to engage. We want you just to be nice. Mm-hmm. And basically, shut up yeah. and stay out of the uh, stay out of the fray. Of course, you know that these men are that they just are um, intensely uh, anti-Trump. Yeah, and they and anyone who would ever would ever vote for Trump can be nothing other than the right-wing Christian nationalist. Yeah. You, uh, reprobate, De- not worthy of having, Yeah, not worthy of having his his her his her uh, feet washed. And um, could, could, there could be no uh, no reason at all ever why someone would uh, vote for such a broken individual as uh, mm-hmm. the former president Donald Trump. So you look on and you go. So you have no agenda here other than just to teach the church how to play nice. I mean, come on, man. That's, <coughs> this is uh, uh, those are wolves in sheep's clothing, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. That's crazy. It's craziness. Let me read for you a report that was done by Megan Basham. Uh, It'll be a little lengthy, but this will show you how the after party, which is a curriculum that has yet to be um, released, but will be released in July, just in time for the election. Um, (laughs) It's a book and an after, uh, sorry, and a uh, small group curriculum. Um, And it was funded very heavily by some very interesting people that you should know about before you invite the after party into your church or into your home or your small group. Um, and so this is uh, from First Things. I'm not really familiar with what First Things is, but Megan Basham is a Daily Wire reporter, and she wrote for First Things. And it's she Carl Truman's blog. What is it? Carl Truman's. He's he's. Oh, I, I love freaking Carl Truman. Yeah. Uh, he was on the show uh, about a year ago. 
awesome. Uh, his book is Rise and Triumph of the Modern Self. Yeah. Fantastic. All right, so this is what Megan Basham said. In May of 2022, Rockefeller Philanthropy Advisors announced that the after party would be one of 32 beneficiaries of their new pluralist project, which is an interesting name for the project and for Christians, uh, which is investing $10 million to address divisive forces in the world. Hmm. Might be one reason why Christian nationalism is such a big deal, because it gives them a target. <coughs> if that uh, money were divided evenly, that means that basically the after party got about $250,000 from Rockefeller uh, to produce their and market their, their curriculum. Um, and that money was given to Chang's umbrella organization, Redeeming Babel. Rockefeller's interest in bankrolling <laughs> Bible studies is kind of a red flag, right? Um, who gives $250,000 to a guy that nobody in the evangelical world really even knows, Curtis Chang, to develop this <clears throat> after-party curriculum? Um, in that same grant, you should know, in the same Rockefeller grant that funded the after-party, um, they also funded uh, a group seeking to promote the leadership of rural LGBTQ people. Another is committed to keeping the remaining fossil fuel resources in the ground in the name of climate justice. In 2019, the After Party's benefactor, the same Rockefeller group, gave 100 million to the Collaborative for Gender and Reproductive Equality, an initiative that funds efforts to safeguard abortion and ensure youth have access to, quote, gender affirming care. So obviously Rockefeller is a radical left-wing organization that supports radical left-wing causes. Rockefeller isn't the only progressive purse with strings attached to the after party. The project's website lists One America Movement, an ecumenical group. Beware of ecumenical groups, just word to the wise. <laughs> yeah, full stop. As one of its partners, the group's board includes, this is the board of this ecumenical group, includes the leader of an LGBTQ affirming synagogue, as well as the co-founder of Black Lives Matter. It gets better and better, guys. Of Greater New York, who excuses <laughs> rioting as self-defense and has called Jesus a black radical revolutionary, which brings us to the reminder that the blue-eyed, blonde-haired Jesus is kind of like Christian nationalism. Nobody on the planet actually believes uh, in a blue-eyed, blonde-haired Jesus, but there are per certainly plenty on the left in the progressive movement that created Jesus, just as we saw as it, um, with this MSNBC guy, a Jesus of their own creation. Um, and they just create their little political priors, and then they put the label Jesus on it. Needless to say, the after party was well-funded by not just one, but multiple radical left-wing organizations. What do you think that that could tell us about the motive of these individuals? Yeah, so the, the most frustrating thing about these guys isn't that they're wanting to turn churches progressive. It's that they're obviously doing that whilst taking on the label of conservative. Mm. Mm -hmm. Like, I just respect you so much more by just going up there in your pulpit and BLMing, BLMing <laughs> or whatever than just a... Just a yeah. The facade of conservatism. Yeah. Russell Moore constantly describes himself as conservative. He's the snake in the grass. Just be honest about where you're at. And so to say, oh, this isn't about partisanship, um, I mean, all the cowardice of everything Chang said aside, to, to, to just promulgate this notion that it's not about partisanship while being funded and influenced by guys that are extremely partisan, yeah. it's just so disingenuous. Yeah. Hey, if you guys will just be quiet, um, we'll take care of this. 
And you can trust us because yeah. we're going to do everything, everything right. Um, <clears throat> I, I've got to say, I, it, it killed me to, to listen to um, anybody, any pastor that is preaching in the pulpit right now. There's more worried about their inbox being full on Monday yeah. than about relaying the message that God has laid on their heart. Yes. Is not fit for the office of being a pastor. Yeah, dude. Period. Hey, I don't uh, want to have this meeting with the people that I have to have a meeting with. Um, so I'm not going to preach what I'm supposed to preach. That is not a good start. Like, <laughs> as soon as he said that, I'm like, nope. Anything he had to say after that was null and void. Yeah. But, but they know their audience. Yep. I mean, they, they, those men know their yep. audience. They know that there are multiple. The, 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 the pulpits across mm-hmm. the land largely are silent because they are petrified of being canceled. They're petrified of being seen as un, you know, not nice or winsome. Yeah. They're petrified as being pigeonholed, as hateful. And that's why, that's why you, know, you come back to this whole scenario, this whole issue of whether or not uh, we have a standard. Do we have any standard? Is there any truth that we adhere to? Why do we? Yeah. What would it cost us if we did? And so, to, they, so they know their audience. They, they know that the vast majority of leading men women too, uh, of pulpits all, all across the land will look on and go, you know what? You're right. I, I think we ought to do something about what's going on. These yeah. guys sound more knowledgeable and into this. This sounds like a really nice, I am concerned about the, you know, it's, it's not very nice out there. And I, I just, we don't want to be a part of that because golly, you know, in the end, uh, folks are going to think that we're unloving and God forbid they think that we're unloving. Yeah. That would just crush the whole scenario. When in the end, um, it's it they're they're good it is slick these days require a discernment and i think discernment comes two ways one i think god makes certain i think god gives a gift some can see past uh, what others can't they just can uh, the sons of Issachar were like that. They, they, they could look at the, the times mm-hmm. and they could read the quote unquote tea leaves. They could, they could sense how the wind was blowing and they could give David wisdom on what to do, Israel what to do. Not everybody, not everybody can, one. But two, I think discernment is developed through a robust exposure, appropriate exposure to the word of God. Then you begin to go, you know, I'm handling truth on a regular basis. I'm handling truth on a regular basis. I'm enjoying truth on a regular basis. These ideas, I mean, the Bible's filled with ideas, with, with true things about morality and right and wrong and, and good and bad and what's evil and not evil and, you know, sin and righteousness and God's plan and, you know, man's frailties and all these things. You, you handle that. You, you handle that repeatedly. You handle that regularly. And you might not be able to articulate why you go, something doesn't seem quite right here. You might not be able to put your finger on it initially, but we have the Holy Spirit, Jesus said, that it would lead us and guide us into all truth. And we are in an age of lies and error, like I just haven't. I mean, the kinds of things that are pawned off as true. uh, And and a lot of us, you know, a lot of folks just sit there and go, yeah, like this fool that did this 30 second spew of you know bible verses and who he thought jesus is and what we're supposed to be because of him it's and we go i'm not not really sure how to disagree with that um as opposed to looking at it going it's just i mean consider the source is a great yeah you know consider the source the source of the after party you know it's sad your comment about where some of these ideas are coming from. I mean, conserv- formerly conservative, exactly. folks that claim to love Christ, filled with the Holy Spirit, worship with their families, to teach their kids God's word. And you're going, 
what's behind this? What's beyond that? Like, what is it about these fellows that feel so driven? I want I want to sit there for a moment, Pastor, because I want to answer that. I want to see if we can answer that question because I think that's a brilliant thing to ask. Like, what is what is causing um, them to respond the way they are? Uh, is it Trump derangement syndrome, which is a thing, by the way? Um, I, here's here's my thoughts on this. Um, I believe these gentlemen and the vast, well, let me not say the vast majority because I want to be careful, but I would say a lot of Christians today, and this is kind of the drum I'm constantly beating. You say you always have like one string on the guitar. <laughs> the one thing I'm always trying to do is trying to wake Christians up to what a biblical worldview looks like. But the thing that has shaped the Christian worldview for the past multiple generations, too, to be sure, is a kind of seeker-sensitive mentality that... Um, that paints a picture of Jesus that seems to be very soft, very weak, very overly concerned with the approval of others and not necessarily that interested in, in truth. So mm. I can't help but wonder if actually the polarization and the part partisanship in our society serves a good purpose. Now, I, I know I, I'm not... I'm not trying to be the acrimonious SOB in, in the room, even though I can be sometimes on my show. Uh, but, uh, but honestly, I, I really do think it serves a purpose. I, th I, I, I equate this to something that I think I learned from you, um, or at least something that I saw in practice. When we become serious about telling the truth, what you do is you create clear on-ramps for people in your church, in your, in your uh, uh, social spheres, for what it means to actually be a Christian. Whereas before, before partisanship, maybe you have this false sense of unity where people have these very divergent belief systems and you're all sitting together in the same church and you think that that's a value to you, but then you've got the guy that's going to hell right next to you and thinks he's good um, and the guy that's actually a Christian but doesn't know how to share. And so all I'm saying is, is that like there could be a divine purpose for polarization. And that divine purpose could be a sense, in a sense, kind of separating the, the the chaff from the wheat to try to help people understand what it actually means to be a Christian. Because the seeker-sensitive movement for years has said, you don't have to believe to belong. Come on. It's like, well, I mean, you, you got to believe to belong to heaven. So, like, you better you better start now. <laughs> <laughs> to, to kind of caveat on what you're saying, I, I think uh, the after party would want nothing more than for you to, to pick a Saturday or a Sunday and that to be the only day that you're a Christian. Um, and I think that's what's uh, the progressive movement in, in the church is, hey, you know, whatever goes, but we come together and we worship together and that's good enough instead of this um, healthy fear of God that's like, this, this grieves the heart of the God that I serve. Mm. The, um, a hatred for sin that, hey, I'm tired of living this way because the Christ that changed me and saved me from that, he didn't save me just to turn around and go wallow back in the pig pen. He saved me so I could live a life that glorifies him. And I think that these guys um, are comfortable in that progressive movement um, in the church where, you know, we got we got uh, we got the idea, yeah. and that's all that matters. But a a true Christian life, we kind of chatted about this before, um, that doesn't have a wall. A Christianity that 
when I'm at work, when I'm at home, when I'm at church, when I'm out in the street, when I'm at the grocery store, it's the same. That consistency, that's a true Christian life. And I don't think that these people understand. I don't, I don't think they live that life. It's a, it's a means to, um, whether it be uh, social or political, uh, you know, I'm a social Christian. I'm a political Christian. But in the reality, I don't think they are that. Mm-hmm. These these are men, especially. I don't know anything about Chang's background, but with both French and Moore, I mean Moore is a pastor right now, senior pastor presently, right? Is he? Yeah, I think I so. And so, or at least he was a couple of years ago when I watched. The I don't think he, I think he's just an elder at Emmanuel in Nashville now with uh, Ray Ortland, but I don't think he's. Yeah, so you look on it and you just think, you know, you you have to you have to find comb this stuff. I mean, I listened to the 2020 um, debate between Eric Metaxas and French, and you, you can't, you you just sit there, you know, and you got to pick it apart pretty good. It isn't, um, it doesn't just lay there on the surface. These aren't overt. It's 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 it's, it's there's a hiss here, right? It's a slippery, mm-hmm. and um, for that reason, like you said, I would I, w- I would much prefer just a straight out left is free but that's just not really what we're dealing with and so again i uh you go what what is the there is something divine about what's happening i I believe um well put it this way you might have heard me say before and i might even have said on one of the podcasts that we've done before something curious about this age that we're in is the winds are blowing and i don't know who is it our adversary that, that that has whipped up the winds and that's why the division exists in the church or is, is he the author of it or is the Lord the author of it? Meaning one way or the other, and again, the Lord, he's the sovereign one over it all. Right. One way or the other, this cultural moment will not allow you to, to take a pass on what you say you believe. You will bend the knee, period. Mm-hmm. The question is, to whom? Mm-hmm. To what? It, you know, and the, 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 you know, let's go along to get along. Those days are gone. Mm-hmm. This whole like kumbaya, let's all hold hands and I'm going to love you all the way there. Those days are gone. So, because they won't, this leftist ideology, doctrines, demons, we might say, will not, it's it's not just uh, that we're going to live a homosexual life, we're going to have a homosexual quote unquote marriage, even though there's no such, a, there's no such thing. And um, you, you just leave us alone. That's not, there's no longer any, that's not sufficient any longer. Now it's, you're going to bend the knee and you're going to advocate for, I'm going to make you, it's coming out of your mouth. Well, if you go, I, I can't, I can't, I cannot. I mean, I'm not going to. Well, there you then are. Th- there he is. There, that's the one. Oh, and guess what? He just happens to be an evangelist. He's white. Yeah. He loves his country. Oh, and here comes the, here comes the, so you're going, wow, this is so interesting. I'm just simply going to take a biblical stand. And the culture, and this is what I've been sharing with our church, you will, you're going to bow. They, they're going to have you bow. Yeah. In fact, you know, you take a look at, uh, I mean, this is, this is true on both sides of the spectrum. You know, <laughs> why can't um, Kintanji Braxton, Jackson Brown define what a woman is? Mm-hmm. It's like, she, she won't. Yeah. I mean, she is one, so. No, but I mean, <laughs> so you look on and you go, Should be easy, you, huh? you, you, or uh, Claudine Gay, yeah. right? You look on and you go, you're going, why can't she say? That the policies of her school, her I think it's Harvard, correct? Mm-hmm. Um, do, they don't condone this kind of language as it relates to genocide. Cannot say it. Mm-hmm. 
she won't. And so it's like, you're going to bow, like you're going to bow, bow one way or the other. You're going to have to bow and you're going to have to come out with what you believe. Mm -hmm. And because her, because the narrative she cannot let go of, she's like, I can't bring myself to say that raping children and women and sticking babies in microwaves and burning them to death. You know, I, we can't, I can't say that that was actually that bad. And so, you know, you just look on and go, Hmm, we're, you're going to have to choose a side. And that in modern evangelicalism is about as anathema as you mm -hmm. can get choosing yep. a side. My, 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 like, Oh no. You remember when the law came, when the law was given, Moses comes down and there's this ray party going on, right? And it's just, it's Aaron, you know, I, I don't know what happened to these yeah. people. They're so difficult. You <laughs> left them with me. They're very difficult with me, Moses. And they, they, they begged for a God. And so we, they gave, I asked for some gold and silver. Next thing you know, this thing pops out. And so here we are in lewd, lascivious, you know, worship of a false God. And what does God say? Who's ever on the side of God, come on over here. All the Levites roll over. And you're like, well, what did God, God just ask people to choose a side? Mm -hmm. It's kind of polarizing. Yeah. We're in a cultural moment where God's going to say, are you going to choose a side? What will you choose a side? That is, again, the, the idea that's being presented to us is that you cannot. The David French's of the world are like, you can't choose a side, bro. And that's the last thing Jesus would have us do. You can't choose a side. That's going to alienate folks. As if, and, and again, I, I think you're right on. I think you're right on point. We have for the longest time believed this narrative that the way we win people to heaven is to be friends with them mm -hmm. to the point that we won't tell them the truth. Yeah. And so the very thing that led us to faith, led us out of our bondage, out of our brokenness, out of our sin, um, and uh, hellish ways was someone loved us enough to tell us the truth. Mm -hmm. So all this time, for a couple decades now, the church's pulpits have been uh, not ablaze with the power of the Word of God and the work of the Holy Spirit, but um, the truth of God's Word as a standard. Um, they've been ablaze with this sort of come one, come all. We, we, we're going to love you. We're going to entertain you. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so we're not going to offend you. My God, we would never offend you. That's all we're going to, we're going to dumb down our worship. We're going to play songs that are, you're singing in your car, secular songs and life is a highway. I'm going to drive it all day long. You know, we're going to do this stuff. And, and then we're going to wonder later on down the road, why the church is so incapable of discerning the difference between right and wrong. Mm -hmm. And that's to me that that might be the moment that we're in right now that we, a sign of maturity, biblically, the writer to the Hebrews said, by now you guys should be eating some meat, but yeah. you're still yeah. you're still sucking yeah. on the tea. It's, we're still drinking milk. And the interesting thing is, he lists a, a, a he gives a list of doctrinal things that you would say if a church knew that they'd be pretty solid. Repentance from dead works and these laying on of hands and these baptisms. He he places all those things that have all sorts of theological ramifications and realities and depth. And he says, but that's milk. Meat, essentially, in the end, is when you can discern the difference between good and evil. Hmm. So right now you look on and go, is the after party something that's good, neutral, or evil? 
are these are these mantras that we hear, you know, touted from progressive leftists, uh, good, or are they actually evil? Mm-hmm. Are these champions of the minority really champions of the minority and the uh, underclass, the other, the underprivileged, or are they really? And you sit there and you go, the people that are t- the people that are calling you and I a hater because we're saying you should not physically castrate and remove the brain. You know, you should not do this to children. We're the haters. Mm-hmm. And they're the ones who love them. I'm going to love you. I'm going to wrap my arm around you. And I'm going to stand with you. Yeah. So you can be your real self. And then I'm going to do permanent damage to you. All in the name of love. Mm-hmm. And we're the haters. Yeah. It's, this is... When you... <laughs> When you, when we, when two people, this is what happens with the, when the cultist shows up at your door, the cultist looked at, looks at you and says, you're going to hell, right? Yeah. And we look in their eye and go, without the true Christ, you're going to hell. That's when the devil's at work. Yeah. This is dark and demonic and it takes discernment to the difference between truth and error. We, and we do that either because God gives some the capacity to see past the smoke and others, they, they cultivate discernment by regularly handling that which is true. Yeah. Yeah. yeah there's this C.S. Lewis quote that comes to mind when I think about the after party, but a, but a lot of what you just said, too, where he says that we're creating um, men with ch- without chests. Um, and for the longest time, what I thought that meant is men without courage. And I think that's a small part of what C.S. Lewis is talking about. But he's not just talking about men being men, you know, men with chests. He's talking about what's in the chest, which is the heart. Um, and in the bigger argument, he's making the, the comment that the thing that connects your appetites to your intellect is your heart. It's that thing in the middle that ties those things together and even kind of um, conditions those things so that they don't become inordinate passions, as kind of Paul calls them. Um, but, but the reason it's important to note that is that what C.S. Lewis is actually saying there is that there is this desire and then this intellect, but it's not enough to truly be a Christian. You also have to have heart, and the heart that he's referring to there is passion, and specifically like passion for the truth. It's one thing to know the truth, and it's one thing to let the truth kind of curtail your desires, but it's it's not enough to only know the truth and then even to let that truth engineer some of the way in which you live your life, but to be passionate for the truth and to go after the truth. And so at at the end of that quote, he says that we um, castrate our children and then we send them out and bid the geldings to go and be fruitful. Uh, now, we're mm. literally doing that in society yeah, right I'm now. Dang, see, how's your time, bro? <laughs> a little bit of a profit. Um, although he's Church of England, which is just like, eh. Uh, but anyway, uh, so, but, uh, but he's also saying simply this, that we cannot bear fruit if we don't have a passion for the truth, that we cannot truly make a difference in this world if we're not serious about the truth. And so I get nervous every single time a Christian stands up for biblical truth that we've believed for thousands of years and then all of a sudden that's considered bad. And it leads me back to this question of motivation. So what would motivate a quote-unquote group of Christian conservatives like Russell Moore, Curtis Chang, and David French um, to all of a sudden come out and create this study that is clearly left-wing? Yeah, I mean, I guess like five sets. They're just trying to move the Overton window to the left as it affects the church. It's just all there is to it. I mean, I'm just so, again, just just see that. Like they they have massive audience. I mean, Russell Moore is the 
chief editor of Christianity Today. Like, if you just want to get your message forward, if that's the only goal, then do it. Yeah. You got to hear, but you, just the cowering sliminess, you, like you yeah. said. I'm just so tired of men. I mean, we do need some physical chest, <clears throat> C.S. Lewis. The heart, too. But how about an actual? I'm, I'm so tired of these effeminate little boys behind these pulpits who pee sitting down and cry at soap operas leading our <laughs> churches, dude. Yeah. Shout out to Blake. <laughs> like, <laughs> come on, dude. Like, so. Ugh, I think like, they've made it clear, don't you? I mean, in prior, I, I think if you listen to the debate between Metaxas and French, he makes it abundantly clear. Mm-hmm. I mean, you, it's almost, it's visceral to him. You, you go, that guy absolutely hates this man. <laughs> Viscerally and hates so, him. Yeah, and so you look on and you go, I think he, he looks on and says, um, maybe not unlike Bonhoeffer did, right? Th- this is an evil that I cannot tolerate to the point that I'm going to do, I'll, I'll be a part of anything to stop him. Mm. Yeah. So I believe that there are people who look on and they so can't countenance this man. And, and I think the man is in the way uh, that they, they're missing the, the, the forest for the trees. And so you look on and you go, I think they've decided we must leverage all of our influence in every possible way we can, wherever we can get the resources to, like you say, move the Overton mm-hmm. window. And we cannot let that happen again. Right? And it's, mm-hmm. it's fascinating because it's, it's like... Uh, while claiming that the right-wing Christian nationalist is an idolater, they're <laughs> completely obsessed with a man. While saying that those on the right that love their country and love God, love the scriptures, love truth, re- love religious liberty, which they say is under <laughs> no assault today. Mm-hmm. There's never, we, we're not yeah. under assault. Curiously, they say, it's sad to watch these people use fear tactics they're drumming up, they're drumming up their partisan sort of, you know, through fear. You know, yeah. you're going to lose your liberty and you're not going to, if you like this capacity that we have right now on a Sunday morning to do it. You, and they sort of scoff at it. But at the same time, when you listen to him speak, French in particular, in that particular interview, 2020, he's like, oh, dear God, what's going to happen to our democracy? Yeah. And yeah. you're like, well, wait, you, you just said that we are using fear tactics to drum up support for someone that you can't countenance. I, I'm to assume that you would have voted for Biden uh, by the very same means. What's going to happen to our democracy? And while you're telling us that we are idolatrous for wanting to hold on to the liberties in our country, you're, you've got a sick sort of fascination with a democracy. So it's like, who's the idolater here? Mm-hmm. Who's the one that's using fear here? <laughs> I mean, it's, it just, it, it yeah. is literally a, it's, de- I think it's demonic. It's mm. demonic deception. And it's probably in their hearts, um, a deep disdain. They are so embittered on the inside and so and pious. Yeah. I think there may be a rational explanation for this too. I think that's undeniably true, but I think there's a rational explanation for the way that these guys think that they do. Um, and this is kind of scary if true, frankly. So uh, if anybody wants to push back, feel, please feel free. But I do believe that the one thing that is standing in the way of the total destruction of uh, Western civilization is the church. Um, and Gramsci said this a long time ago. He said, um, who is obviously the Marxist um, imprisoned in 
in, in Italy, in, in his, one of his writings, he said this, socialism is precisely the religion that must overwhelm Christianity, which is spooky. In the new order, socialism will triumph by first capturing the culture via infiltration of schools, universities, check, check, by the way, yeah. uh, churches <laughs> coming, uh, and very close, and the media, definitely, by transforming the consciousness of society. Now, obviously, I believe that's the devil's bargain. I believe the after-party guys are making a Luciferian bargain to the church. They want you to shut up and they want to do this. But I can't help but wonder if there is not this Marxist agenda behind what these guys are doing, even if it is, even if they don't come to it legitimately, like they wouldn't say, David French is saying, I'm not a socialist. Yeah, you guys always think Marxists are hiding under every bush. Um, however, what, what these men are, are byproducts of the academy which has long ago been uh, invaded by cultural <clears throat> Marxism. Yeah. Uh, and of course, Gramsci, by the way, is the kind of like the, the father of cultural Marxism. So I can't help but wonder if these guys are byproducts of the academy and essentially minions, whether they're useful idiots or not, I don't know, um, of a cultural Marxist agenda that is after the usurpation of the church, the destruction of the church, because if they can get the church they can get the consciousness of society. And they're mm -hmm. not stupid enough to underestimate the church, which kudos to them for that, I guess. Um, the church is a fundamental building block in society. The Christian church does have <clears throat> a power, even still to this day, even in our post-Christian society, on the consciousness of America. And they want that. And they hate the fact that evangelical Christians have their finger on the pulse of social consciousness still in America. Yeah, I think... One reason why we've been so susceptible to this, you know, Marxist Gramscianism is uh, we've abandoned this this sort of presuppositional notion of Kuyperianism. So Douglas Wilson was talking recently about throughout the Protestant Reformation, there were three predominant streams uh, from the standpoint of sort of cultural engagement, civic engagement, in terms of sphere of sovereignty and all that. Uh, there, there were the pietists, think kind of the John Piper, right? it's, it's just me and Jesus in my little heart and that's it, sort of individual salvation. The gospel is nothing more than justification, which Charles Haddon Spurgeon said was the heart of the gospel. It's, you, don't, you don't have the gospel without justification, the legal act of God forensically declaring a sinner to be just in his sight on the basis of Christ's sacrifice appropriated by the Holy Spirit through faith, like bam, justification, gospel nugget. But, that, but, the, the, but the full counsel of God is, so, so now what? Does God kill us and send us to heaven right when we're saved? We got to live in the world. So the pietists is just all navel-gazing, individual salvation. Then through the Reformation, there came the confessionalists as we were getting distinctly Protestant confessions, um, which broadened the, the scope of, of sort of ecclesiastic, it was ecclesiastic authority. So, so it broadened, but it was, it was within the four walls of the church. Then came the Kuyperians. He said, all of Christ for all of life. Like Kuyperian's famous quote, or Abraham Kuyper's famous quote, there's no, uh, there's no molecule or decimite or square inch of all creation over which Christ does not say mine. So, so when we're constantly sort of attacked, but well, you're, you're too political, and it's like, well, maybe so, but you're definitely not political enough. The, the category of politics is so annoying. It's yeah. about civic engagement. How is a Christian to take uh, uh, our relationship to Christ out into the out into the world, just presuppositionally, such that that's our that's our worldview through which we see everything, whether it be the three uh, back to sphere sovereignty, the three spheres of uh, church, state, and home. 
uh, the, the, who says any of those are off limits. There may be overlap in certain areas, yeah, but if Christ affects any part of your life, he affects all of your life. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And if we had generally believed that more, I think we would have been even in the institutions less susceptible to the Gramsciism. Yeah. Yeah. So pastor has, uh, mentioned this a couple of times. We'll change our attention kind of as we close out towards a uh, debate that we all watched and have discussed a little bit, uh, between Eric Metaxas and Joe, uh, Joe Biden, uh, Eric Metaxas and David French. That'd be good. Uh, that'd be yeah. good. Yeah. An hour of that, buddy. <laughs> cookies, cookies. Where's the ice cream? Um, <clears throat> <laughs> leave the little girls out of it um anyway uh, david french and eric metaxas back in 2020 about um whether or not christians should vote for donald trump i think full, coming full circle to the question of christian nationalism and all this stuff is the is this question of should christians be political or what role do christians have in politics and um does does being a Christian mean that you endorse the Republican Party? And if you do that, haven't you sold out and aren't you idolatrous to, toward that movement? And uh, rather than scripture, as much as you, you guys in this room talk about the Bible, aren't you selling out to one party? And um, so I kind of want to just address that. And the way I've kind of thought about this and the thing I think is important to communicate to the church, to fellow Christians, since this is podcast of the church, is to say that fine. If you don't like labels and you don't want to call yourself a conservative, you don't want to call yourself a Republican, you don't want to be partisan and pick a party, then the one thing I will tell you is this, is that ultimately politics is about values and and what a society values. And if you're a Christian, you can't be valueless. So, fine. Forget the labels for a second. That seems a very high school kind of concern. Don't label me kind of thing. Uh, Forget the labels for a second. Be a moral Christian as you're required to be in scripture. Create a list of the morals that are right now um, political concerns, gender affirming care, transitioning children, abortion, where we, where we, uh, what we believe about immigration. Make a laundry list of political ideas. And when you realize that to be a God-fearing, Bible-believing Christian, you're almost entirely signing up for one side of the aisle. You don't have to come away from that calling yourself a conservative Christian or an evangelical Christian, but at least be honest about who you have to vote for when you finally make that list. But let's quit the denialism of thinking to ourselves that we can be Democrats and God-fearing people if we're going to listen to what these people have to say. And that's the striking thing about this debate for me. The debate for me is it's the reason I wanted us to, to look at it is because it's so eye-opening to hear David French's mealy mouth arguments post Joe Biden administration. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Right? So I mean, we've talked seen... about, you know, go find a closet somewhere and um, <laughs> throw up. Yeah. It's like, wait, wow. So go ahead. Sorry, I didn't mean to. No, no. Yeah, no. That, that, I was pretty much kind of done with my my rant, but ultimately, just that that debate took place in 2020, and here we are. And David French, by the way, has a little bit of an advantage because he's arguing um, about a unicorn. He's arguing about Joe Biden, who has never been president before, and uh, Trump, who has been. And so he can wish cast all these things into Joe Biden. Um, and in fairness, I don't know that he entirely does, but he but he has a lot to say about Trump without being able to reflect upon Biden. So now here we are with the Clearly. vantage point after the fact, yeah. realizing that the man has destroyed our border. Uh, illegal immigration is a problem. 
um, and invading major blue cities, and they know it's a problem. They used to be sanctuary cities. They're second guessing that one. Um, uh, drag queen shows for kids, women's sports, um, gender, gender transitioning, um, abortion, and uh, you've got transgender guys shaking their surgically implanted breasts on the White House lawn at pride events that are taking place at the White House. And it's just like, they're, it's just, it's silly now. David French looks dumb in the aftermath of that, if I'm going to use Koine Greek. He looks dumb uh, arguing for the fact that you can't vote for Joe Biden. So I don't know. I'd love to hear what you guys thought about that debate. But, but I just think that it was so eye-opening to hear that. And it does underscore the fact that this whole conversation about Christian nationalism is nothing less than a psyop. It is absolutely a term that is created to shame Christians into pushing left. Yeah, dog whistle to get you to shut up. Just, just yeah. stop barking. We're sick of hearing it. And uh, again, maybe most alarming is that after having seen what we've seen, I mean, for 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 two sweet little fellows to sit on the stage and tell us how much that they love the marginalized and love is the key and we gotta stand in the gap for you. You look on and you go, how many? In the last three years, how many hundreds of thousands of people are dead? Mm-hmm. We've got a war in the Ukraine. Five, six, seven hundred thousand people are gone. We've got a hundred thousand for the last three years overdose on fentanyl because our southern border is open. We've got innumerable number of young women that have been trafficked, raped, beheaded, slaughtered to try to get to this country because we've got the door wide open. And this is the party that loves people. This is the party that loves women. This is the party that loves minorities. This is the party that loves, uh, that loves. And these are the conservative, formerly conservative, quote unquote, evangelical men that are the representations of Jesus. I I weep. I'm going to, I tell you, I weep when I think about that that is what they're trying to they're like we want more of that in the name of jesus christ Hmm. you want more of that i weep i look on and i go so what's interesting about this election and i i'll go on the record i'm stuck with donald trump i i I am not interested at all we had another option and a a guy that was actually uh policy driven and getting things done as far as the kneecap and the left but we're stuck with him. I have no, this by, whole idea. By the way, I, hang on to that thought. I looked up David French before this to see if he endorsed Ron DeSantis, because obviously, clearly, a little bit less of the baggage of, of Donald Trump, and clearly, a Christian man <laughs> loves his wife and dedicated to her. All those things, yeah, about n- Donald not Trump the about. flandering, you know, right? Yeah, <clears throat> none of that. And David French had absolutely nothing to say about Ron DeSantis and whether or not he'd come back to the Republican Party. So I thought that was kind of odd. No, so so you you look on and you think to yourself, what, what's going to be curious about this? And this is. This is, this is going to be a bit bizarre again. But you're going to have now four years of Biden and four years of Trump. Mm-hmm. And if, if we're stuck with these two, will you go, well, Christian, what about the last four years? Would you, what could you condone? And what about the four years of Trump? Yeah. Right? So you just look on and go, we're going to have an op. Now it's going to be his four years versus this man's four years. And even still, there'll be those pious, blessed souls that are just too pure and holy to get involved in the fight and choose to stand for those that are being slaughtered on our southern border and the 100,000 people that are being killed by fentanyl every year and this war that is absolutely ridiculous in the Ukraine because we are so weak on the world stage. 
So it's, it's pathetic. So you go, yeah, I'm, and, and you guys are the party of life, and we're the party of, you guys are the party of life when you're actually the party of death. And we're the party that just hates everybody. And yet, we're the ones who weep when you look on at all the carnage that's gone on because of these pathetic, godless, leftist, demonic, destructive. The devil came to kill, steal, and destroy. You tell me which two, which two four-year periods would, 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 yeah. would, would be, line up more with the, the devil's platform. The, yeah, there's, so, there's not even a question. And what will the, what will the church do without, with the help of the Frenches and all? We'll, we'll sit here again. And uh, I've got dear friends that are just like, oh, no, I just, I just, no, we couldn't. Yeah. Uh, you know, you look on and you're No, I'm with you. Please, I, last thing I want to do. I'm, there's nothing about, you know, Donald Trump is a transactional leader. He will say anything to anyone. To, to, now, the, the other fellow that we were looking at, I think, was a transformational leader, the kind of leader that's like, I'm principled, yeah. and I will stand up for what I believe no matter what. And I'm Speaking of DeSantis. I'm, yeah, and I'm going to do something about it. Um, transitional, transactional. What would you call Biden? Uh, Transgender. <laughs> I mean, he, he is. It's, it's pathetic. I mean, talk about the laughing stock of the world with the guy that. Uh, it, 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 of course, he's not the one who's running the show. But we're. Yeah. we're this is our moment. I mean, we live here, citizens. We should be citizens. We're citizens. We have dual citizenship, yeah. right? Paul addressed the church in Colossae in Christ. We 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 dwell at simultaneously in two places. We're we're we're, we're citizens there. Uh, when we're presently we're citizens here, and the and the fact that we're still here as citizens, salt and light, we're we're supposed to do something that is akin to godliness. And strangely, your French friends tell us that you know the most godly thing you could do is not vote for Trump and vote for Biden, which I'm pretty sure he did. You know, by by extension of that debate, you know, championing all the good things that he thought Biden was going to bring, mm-hmm. though he's plagiarist they're talking about a liar yeah. calling this other guy a liar and a mean yeah. this guy's a dog anyway so um what will the church do um and we do there, it is a big it is a big voting block right and that's why these guys are concerned they're like oh my gosh yeah. they're gonna go for the idol again they're, they're gonna go take the shiny idol again but <laughs> this is interesting because the because um the church the white the, the right-wing christian nationalist has a sick obsession with power and I'll, I'll just go on the record and say, no, no, no genuine child of God has a sick obsession with power. Mm-hmm. No, but if we sit on our butts while those who take power oppressively yeah. and destroy people's <clears throat> lives, then we've done nothing. He who knows yeah. the good he ought to do and doesn't do it, he sins. So we're called the, the idolatrous, nation-loving, Trump-loving, flag-clutching idolaters. Yeah. Um, and I look on and I say, well, I was curious. And we, we've got a sick, we're, we are fat, and the only thing we want is power. No, we don't. No, no true child of God wants power here. We, don't, we, we understand where our kingdom comes. We, we understand what power is all about. But to sit back and allow the unrighteous wield power yeah. to the destruction of other people, that's altogether ungodly. Yeah. Cowardice, weak, uh, narrow-chested, no chested, empty chested. It's bad. Yeah. <laughs> and I don't want to be a part of it, man. No. I don't want to be a part of anything like that um, mm. at all. I could caveat a little bit. Um, I'm going to read my notes so I don't misquote, but uh, talking about the power, um, specifically when we, uh, with white evangelicals, um, CNN had an exit poll. I'm sorry I said CNN um, on the podcast, by the way. Watch your mouth. <laughs> 
<laughs> but for the Iowa caucus um, in 2016, uh, 21% voted for Trump. And here's why we're dealing with all this. In 24, 53% voted for Donald Trump. Yeah. And I think that's why we're seeing such a um, focus on uh, Christian nationalism and all these, you know, um, key words and all of this effort towards trying to have these grassroots organizations infiltrate the church to convince us that we were wrong Um we were wrong then, and those that have already voted have already been wrong. Um, I think that's why. That's a good point. Would you guys, so just take that quote, take that stat for a second. 2016, 21% of evangelicals vote for Trump. There were some others in that race that probably represented Christ better from an evangelical standpoint. 53% this time. Obviously, one of the most powerful voter blocks that cause Democrats to constantly pander and that they're very interested in. They don't want to lose a single bit of that voter block. It's a powerful voter block for Democrats. They want to secure the black vote every single year. That's they, the video of our dear our dear uh, president having yes right? the whole, fried all chicken that, All that is right is just another form of <laughs> <It's pandering>. slavery. <laughs> oh, oh, by the way, speaking of which, it is another form of it uh, in terms of. Uh, on the anniversary of the Emanuel shooting in South Carolina, that church, the black church where that white guy went in and shot people, uh, he was there um, speaking at the church and they were shouting four more years. So talk about Christian nationalism. But nobody in the media was worried about Joe Biden stirring up Christian votes uh, only when it's for Republicans. Uh, anyway, so the, the voter block among African-Americans is very, very, um, is very large but they make up only 13% of the population. Now think about this. The vast majority of the population obviously is white, like maybe 60% or something like that. I don't, I don't know what the number is, but it's close to that. Um, and the 53% of um, Christians uh, and Christian evangelicals are voting Republican. Boy, that's, that's a powerful voting block. To, to contend with. And I can't help but wonder if that really is what Christian nationalism is all about, is extorting that voter block for, so they're just, it's a, it's a blackmail for political purposes. Don't you think some of the power in an accusation is that there is some truth mm -hmm. and hidden inside, talk about the right using fear tactics to garner a base and, you know, get votes. Well, these guys are looking on, and I think every, every hit contained within the idea of Christian nationalism is this idea that the nation has a sick infatuation, maybe an even idolatrous, idolatrous infa uh, infatuation with one particular leader. To that degree, there's a certain seed kernel of truth. Where you look on and you're like, mm -hmm. these folks are rabid for mm -hmm. this guy. Mm -hmm. And when given another option, we didn't choose it. Yeah. But do you think that's, but do you think Christians factor into that? Because that's what I wonder. Well, these are the, meaning these are evangelical voters in Iowa, 53%. Ron DeSantis was in the race. Mm. So you look on and you're like, so when they, when they say, watch out for the right, they mean Hitler is in the right, right? That's <laughs> yeah. the whole idea. Yeah. That, that's yeah. where this whole idea comes from. So you look on and you go, well, Hitler ended up being like a world, sort of a wildly popular dictatorial leader. Well, when you have this kind of base, 
for Trump, and uh, 53% of them are evangelical Christians, you're like, hey, we, if the shoe fits, we might want to wear it. Yep. If, that's, if we're involved in idolatry, we need to repent of it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so I had someone leave once in the middle of the COVID scenario because I said, hey, you do your own research. You want to wear a mask and you think that works? Wear a mask. You want to get a vaccine? Even though there's no possible way to know the long-term effects, you get one. I'm not going to do it. As for me and my house, we're not going to do it. Get up, storm out of the church, text one of my buddies. You got to tell the guy who advocated so much for Trump, you can't have it both ways. It's his damn vaccine. And I'm mm. like, you, know, you misunderstand. I, mm -hmm. I didn't have a sick infatuation with Trump. Yeah. I wasn't advocating for Trump. Mm. I was standing against the left. I only had one option at the time. Yes. Yeah. So once yeah. Trump botched it when it came to COVID, and I think he botched it when it came to COVID, uh, to the point that I would not have voted for him if I didn't have if I didn't if I, if I had another choice. Now you look on, you go. So you might be able to level the charge of idolatrous Christian nationalists to a certain population, right? Because if we've got some sort of mm -hmm. misguided affection for someone who botched it. Right, you you work for us. If you botched it, you botched it. Yep. You're fired. Yeah, we're moving on. Yeah. Well, then doesn't stick with me. I mean, I don't have a sick infatuation yeah. one particular leader. Yeah. Well, this is this Christians is... vote principles, like you said earlier, yeah. values. Principles of a person. We stand on the value. We couldn't give. We we don't care about the person. Yeah. Right. We just want someone who represents our values because those are the things we we're not in. We have no sick infatuation <laughs> with power. We don't yeah. want to be there. We don't want to hold it. We don't. You know. We just don't. This is why I I think. This is one of the reasons I think it's a total lie. I don't. I don't even think they believe Christian nationalism is that much of a threat, um, because no, in my lifetime, in 24 years, I guess how long I've been voting, I haven't voted a single time for a candidate. I've always voted against the other guy because I felt like they were so awful that I couldn't vote for that individual. Um, I can't think of a single time where I've actually been so excited about the person that's running that I couldn't wait to vote for them because I was like, this is the best guy in America to be president. It's really kind of sad when you think about it. It's like yeah. Joe Biden or Donald Trump is what we have to vote for. And I think top. the vast majority of Christians <laughs> are going to go to the polls. They're going to hold their nose. They're going to vote for Donald Trump. And this is where I think all of this just is a wash for me is at the end of the day, I am not a sophisticated voter. I'm not sitting here looking at all the line items. I'm really just being very simple about this and pragmatic. I'm saying who is the guy that's going to protect life in the womb for sure, and who is the guy that probably is not. And the only um, affiliation that I have with Donald Trump is, is that whether you like the guy or not, and I don't a lot of times, the man did save tens of thousands of lives, not single-handedly, because pregnancy resource clinics and all sorts of other people and activists and all that, fighting for life in our country did, but he undeniably had a hand in saving the lives of innocent babies. So you can make all of the personal attacks against him, talk about his philandering 15 years ago and how he's not the uh, choice of a principled conservative Christian. Um, and But all I got to tell you is, is that you can talk about right-wing extremism claiming hundreds of lives over the last 10 years, mm. or you can look at every single year in America, 600,000 babies are killed. And you, can, and you have to stand before the Lord and vote accordingly. And to me, to say I'm voting for Joe Biden is totally unconscionable when you look at it from the perspective of life or voting third party candidate or somebody else or write in or anything else. Because the reality is, is that Joe Biden, if he runs, makes it that far, 
and Donald Trump are really your only two options, and only one of them have proven, proven that they're actually gonna protect life in the womb. Although I don't like a lot of what Donald Trump says, even about this issue, um, he has proven that he actually will do something about it, unlike many other Republican candidates in my lifetime. That's true. Yeah. Yeah, I think that uh, I think you guys hit on a lot of a lot of good stuff there. The biggest issue I think is, um, like Pastor Frank said, that there are people out there that are. Um, it doesn't matter what Donald Trump says; he is always the right in the right. He's always done right. He's never done anything in the past to be ashamed of. And I think that um, as as a Christian, we have to call it. We absolutely have to call our own leaders, just like we would call um, call out Joe Biden. Um, but again, it, in all of this, it, and you said it said it perfectly. Where's my other option? Show my other option that is morally um, higher than the two that I have. And it's unfortunate that this is the best that we can produce. Um, um, it's, a, it's, a, it's a pretty sad indictment on, yeah, on, on yeah. just the state of things, right, overall. The greatest yeah, country in the world. This is what we've got. Yeah, we, yeah. we are pretty pathetic across the board. And, and then again, I, I, I'd submit to you that when someone does show up principled, um, have demonstrated through COVID in particular, uh, a sense of real leadership to the point that it cost him. I, I think one of the things that's interesting about trying to discern, coming back to that bit there about discernment, <laughs> you know, when you consider the source of the positions that people take, I tend to be enamored with the ones that they care so much about their position that it costs them dearly, right? So you, what, you, the, the folks that are gender affirming care, they're getting rich. Right, they're getting rich. Yeah. Um, take a look at what ultimately happened to the leaders. Of the whole BLM thing, couple twenty twenty. They got yeah. wealthy, wild beyond. So you look on it and you go, it, it, "What? What did it cost them to to hold their view? Nothing. Mm-hmm. What did it cost Ron DeSantis? They said, oh, you're gonna mm-hmm. be, you're gonna be the one that, you know, you could, everyone's gonna die on your watch and your blood's on your hands.' And so the other, well, they fared uh, better than anybody. The economy came out great. I mean, there was all kinds of mitigate." Uh, uh, pain and death mitiga- mitigation happened because it didn't close down. They didn't take all those sort of uh, hard, uh, harder, nonsensical, unscientific, you know, uh, patterns. And he did he did some real thinking on his own. Stood for, stood for the truth. You know, look at doctors like Dr. Peter McCullough who look, loses his practice and mm-hmm. his great name in our country because he looks on and goes, you know what, this ain't right. Yeah. And uh, he st- cares so much about it that it cost him. And uh, so when you when you go to try to discern the truth, t- take a look at who, what it costs someone to hold the truth that they're 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 presenting, yeah. and right, it cost Christ everything. And I think if we don't get comfortable with being called all sorts of things that are, um, if we don't have enough courage to 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 stand against mean tweets or bad emails or whatever, we're in trouble. Mm-hmm. Um, Typically, the truth to hold it is going to cost you, yeah. and um, so I, it's going to cost you now. Or it's going to cost you later, though. Yeah, I mean, I be the I mean, be the good citizen that you're called to be. We're going to take a look at First Timothy six one and two. The whole topic is slavery, mm-hmm. and interesting enough, in that particular cultural context, sixty million slaves in Rome. The Lord doesn't tell the slave get free as quick as you can. Yeah. He doesn't tell the slave owner to repent and dump the dump the slave. He essentially says, "I want you both to be as I want you to be a better slave owner and a better slave than you possibly be." Yeah. Meaning, the gospel 
as, in, as, as Spurgeon talked about, like this glorious transaction that happens within the pietist movement. Well, it wasn't meant to stay there. Yeah. I mean, the gospel isn't just a message. It's the entire ministry of Jesus Christ on the earth. And a large swath of the church believes we just got to get the gospel words right. That's it. We just got to get the message out. And nothing that we can do mm-hmm. should hinder the message. You're like, but the gospel is... What was the Tyree? What was his name? Who? The, the, the third way. The, the, oh, Kyperianism. Yeah, Kyperianism. Would you look on and go, no, no, no. Gospel living is to infect every single solitary sphere yeah. of life. Yeah. That's why he turns to the slave and doesn't say, make sure you get the gospel right when you're talking to your slave, your slave master. No, and no, and side note, in Philemon, Paul yeah, actually tells one of us to go back to him. Right. You've got to live in such a way that adorn, that adorns the gospel, that makes the gospel glorious. Like don't, don't discredit the glory and the doctrine of God with the way that you live. Yeah. You're like, I'm a slave. Yeah. No, no. That means that the gospel is a whole lot more than just words out of our mouth. It's not something Jesus simply preached. It was the way that he lived. And he interacted with the oppressed. He interacted with the power structures that oppressed people. And again, the only people that he was really pretty harsh on were those that looked at him and said, no, we're good. Yeah. Just like we are, we're good. Then Pharisees. Today, everyone who's like, I'll take my sin and I'll stay right here. Yeah. He's not, those aren't kind words in the end. Do you know well, I mean? as evangelical Christians, we have to realize that what you just said is unfortunately radical because there is this idea that Jesus is this guy that went around preaching social justice and tolerance and love rather than who he actually was. Again, this is a Gandhi Jesus thing. Um, <laughs> so there is this version of Jesus that people have in their head that isn't necessarily the Jesus of Scripture. I mean, you could tell people that Jesus' message was repent, and they'll be like, that's not in the Bible. It's like, no. <laughs> yeah, it is. Yeah, it is. Like, he, he's, his message was repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. <laughs> I've actually, I actually read in grad school where all the smart people hang out. Um, a person who was arguing that... Um, Jesus came to overturn the ministry of John the Baptist because John the Baptist preached repent. And it's like, have you not read where Jesus' message was repent? Uh, like first the same words word. out of his mouth, according to Mark, right? The very yeah. first, repent for the kingdom of heaven's hands. The time's now, bud. So, so in other words, I think, I think this is kind of what we're dealing with, too, is, we, is the cultural <clears throat> Jesus. Sure, okay, maybe there is this Christian nationalist cultural Jesus that wraps a flag around him more than it would ever wear a cross. Like, whatever, I don't really see that. Uh, but you better believe that that also, too, is a concern on the progressive left where you got the LGBTQ ninny foot-washing Jesus that has nothing to do with the Jesus of the Bible. Anyway, all that to be said, I appreciate your guys' contribution in this conversation, and I cannot wait to see Pastor's inbox after this podcast. Uh, we'll Monday try to morning, bring that boy. To... <laughs> so he's like, that's not what that I'm chest. Not used to now. That It'll just be up. a big blur. <laughs> uh, uh, and, then, and then all of a sudden, the after party will become a thing here at Calvary Chapel. Needless to say, uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm excited uh, about these conversations. I hope they're helpful to people if they are. Don't forget to like, share, and subscribe. And most importantly, go with God.